Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 14 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Chojin Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show. We share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you today? Um, doing very well, Matt. It's a beautiful afternoon. It is a gorgeous Just chilling. Afternoon. Yeah. Sort of weirdly gorgeous, actually. Uh, today, Dave, we are watching episode 14. It's called The Deadly Canon of Love. And yes, it is as good as it sounds. But before we get to that, uh, Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? Uh, actually, our first star of the week is the fact that it's just weirdly weirdly nice out it is it's december the 13th and it is 65 degrees in balmy cleveland uh, yeah yesterday it was <laughs> 70 it was 70 degrees yesterday 70 degrees in december in cleveland it's madness i mean like okay like i know it's actually setting records all over the country uh for how warm it is and listen i know i know I know that it's terrible for, like, lots of people, uh, that this weather is very bad for any number of people in any number of positions. And I, I'm sorry for those people, but for, like, just me, like, personally, in my immediate life, this is amazing. Yeah, it is the best, because the last two winters in Cleveland have been rough. Yeah, and it's brutal, so brutal. Nice to have like <laughs> yeah. a breather. Uh, we'll pay for it. We'll pay for it later. We paid for it the last two years. I'm hoping that this, this is our like payoff <laughs> for that. This is I. I don't listen. I would love for that to be the case, Matt. I don't think it is. Uh, this is this is Lone Shark weather. All right, like this weather is gonna come back for us later and demand a lot. People's knees are gonna get broken. Uh, it's going to be ugly, but for now, for now, things are... <laughs> this is amazing. And you and I are Thanks, stuck sir. inside of our respective homes recording this podcast instead of outside enjoying this beautiful weather. Uh, to be that's true. To be fair, to be fair, I probably if I wasn't doing this, I would probably like be playing Fallout, but I would have the windows open, so yeah, you know, I would be enjoying it. I would be enjoying it more than I am right now, but it's worth it. It's worth it, Matt, for the listeners. Also, I just really like Chojin's Anti-Jet, <laughs> It is a lot of fun. And today is um, no exception. Yeah. Uh, so, I want to know what's up with that canon of love. So, what, Matt, is our second star of the week? Okay, Dave. Uh, our second star of the week is that last night, you and I, and a lot of other people... Um, because it was a party, and that's usually what happens at parties. There's a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, that's how that works. Uh, your wife, uh, past guest of the show, Bill, uh, a number number of friends of the show and friends of ours, and yeah, just a bunch of people, various acquaintances and so forth, all got together for our friend Ryan and Karen's annual holiday party. 
It was awesome. It was a great party. Uh, okay, so every year it is a it's a theme party. So past themes have been uh, pirates versus ninjas, mythology, right? Superheroes, mm-hmm. spies. Uh, I think I think those are the last four that I've been to. And this year's theme it's sort of like a general all-purpose post-apocalypse theme. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was pick any any apocalypse, sort of an apocalypse of your choosing. You just got to pick whichever. And so so uh I came as a as a fall as a vault dweller from Fallout. There was uh there was Judge Dread there was my wife came as a uh, person from District One from the Hunger Games. Our friend Jen came as one of the postmen from the Postman. I was like a road warrior, like a raider sort of deal. You're like a road warrior. Somebody came as there was a couple Mad Max sort of like tire armor style some really intricate tire armor things going on. Yeah, I was really dude. Every time I go to this party. Because it's always a costume party, and every time I go, because there's a we have like a low grade costume contest, right? And every time I go, Matt, I think I think to myself, I'm like, all right, man, I've got like a really good costume this year. Oh, I like, know. This year, I did the exact I same might, thing. Right. This year, I might actually win the costume contest, and every year, somebody shows up. I first of all, the costumes have been getting better year by year, like straight up. Uh, but every year we show up and somebody just man modes it and dominant, like just shows up with an amazing costume. And this year it was a Mr. Sean Wedig. Okay. Yes. He, you know what? It wasn't even that he put so much time and effort into his costume. It's just that he committed so hard. It was Sean came as Zardoz. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you've never seen Zardoz, uh, it's a terrible movie. But it stars Sean Connery in like a weird post-apocalyptic world, and uh, he has a, a revolver, which is you, like you would think he would have futuristic weaponry, but he doesn't. And his outfit—he's got like a giant Fu Manchu mustache and a long, like long black hair and a braid, and then he is wearing like thigh-high leather boots, like a red. Under, like a red speedo, and over attached to the speedo is like a red bandolier, like an ex bandolier. Yeah, like there's like two of them and they cross over his bandolier chest. sort of deals. It's it's so bad, but the costume is so amazing. <laughs> and he just he should have a Zardoz. And as soon as we actually didn't even have a contest. Because uh, normally it's just like by round of applause, who has the best? And it like we go around a couple where we're like trying to determine. And uh, Ryan, who is the host of the party, he just said like, "Does anybody think that Sean should not win?" And uh, and the room was silent. And then it was like, "All right, Sean wins." And it was like, Bleh! and everybody freaked out because he came as. Just look it up. Just look it up, guys. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you have to have the internet, and so you can you can know what Sean Wedding looked like, sort of as Zardoz. Uh, What's uh, what is funny about that Zardoz yeah. costume, other than you know its existence, is that 
later on in the night because he was cold. <laughs> like he took off the suspenders and he put on a t-shirt, right? And so at that point, oh, well, he and it's the t-shirt he got in our gift exchange because there's also a lame gift exchange. And so Sean's got a big beard and he was wearing a t-shirt and red spent like red like speedos basically and like big thigh high leather boots and at that point he went from looking like zardoz to looking exactly like daniel bryan it was (laughs) like i just turned around and it was as though he not in an entirely different costume yeah (laughs) he's not he's not built like daniel bryan uh but the outfit but right but the outfit was there so yeah it was a great party uh, y'all should have been there. It was a really fun time. So, uh, what, Matt, is our third star of the week? Our third star of the week, Dave, is, uh, this has been a big week in kickstarting news. Yeah, definitely. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, now there's a new one that came out that you just backed, right? And it's, it, have we talked about this one before? We... No, I don't think we have. Because it actually, like, I only found, I know this is weird, I only found out about it a little while ago. So if you're a listener of the show, you may have heard me mention a tabletop role-playing game called Mage, which is published by White Wolf, sort of. Uh, but anyways, they it's like, it's one in a line of games, and there's one game that they uh, put out, it's called Changeling, and it's about, like, you're like a, you're like a fairy kind of but not like a fairy like a modern style like tinkerbell sort of fairy like an old world like european like sneak into your house and like steal babies style fairy but you're not like a bad guy if that makes sense at all uh but it's like it's really steeped in mythology it's a very very cool game and it is coming out along with the other kind of main line of these old White Wolf role-playing games. They're coming out with a 20th anniversary edition of this game. And I'm just like, I don't know basically anything about it yet, uh, except that it's mostly written and I love Changeling. And I gave them a bunch of money for a product at like some indefinite time in the future, which, uh, which I'm fine with. So I'm just really excited. More details as events warrant, I guess. Yeah, dude, Changeling was a fun game. It was, it's very much different than the other like World of Darkness games. Yeah, it's super different because it's all like, like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I want to like super yeah, go I mean, into we, it. We don't have um, to get into it, but like you know, Vampire is very like the other World of Darkness games are very either goth or like. You know, sort of steeped in that sort of well, era. Yeah, because they all came out. They all came out in the nineties, and so they're very steeped in like. I think the easiest way to say it is like nerd culture from the nineties. So there's a lot of like katanas and black trench coats, and like like all the stuff. Like if you're okay, so I'm 33. Like all the stuff that you thought was like really super. If you're my age, was really super amazingly cool. Like when you were in like early high school, that's like, that's White Wolf. Yeah, I mean, imagine that you were, like, staying up all night playing, like, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and then you watched a, like, Highlander TV show marathon, and right. then, uh, like... And then The Crow. You know, watched some, like, old monster movies. This is the game right. that you would come up with. Yeah, precisely. It's exactly that. And uh, Changeling is much kind of, in a weird way, it's much lighter 
in sort of feel than that. It's much more like steeped in like wonder and magic and mystery and all of these things. Uh, but it's also simultaneously a whole lot darker than the other games because the starting point is so sort of like whimsical and cheerful. And then it like is contrasted against like weird darkness. Uh, but it's a super fun game and I will tell you more about it later. But what other uh, Kickstarter... Did you want to talk about, Matt? You told there was another Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. I mean, if about. you have been on the internet in the last month, I'm sure you have heard that there's the uh, mystery, Bring Back Mystery Science Theater Kickstarter. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about this. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It, so it finished up the other day, and I, I almost didn't back it because, like, they had so much money that they clearly did not need my pittance. Uh, but I felt... It was one of those things where, like, I almost didn't, and then I remembered just how much time in my life has been spent watching Mystery Science Theater 3000. A lot. I was like, you know what? A lot of time. I can, like, if I break it down, like, and pay them, you know, three cents per hour that I have spent enjoying their product, (laughs) I can kick them, like, you know, 30 bucks. Dude, we did. Man, I remember when we were in college, we would do... Like on a weekly basis. Oh, it was right? every Wednesday, yeah, because Wednesday was uh, you could Wednesday, get cheap yeah. pizza at Domino's. Yeah, and we would just each order a medium one-topping pizza and watch two episodes of Mystery Science Theater. Because you're in college, and I was I was actually talking to somebody about this at the party last night, Matt. There is, uh, I think, there's a point in your life, and this is one of the marks of maybe like adulthood that consuming an entire pizza. Because like, like it's no longer like a, a paradigm triumph. shift. It's no longer something that you're like, yes, I have done this thing. Witness me. Right. It's no longer a bragging point. You're like, you like you might tell someone else, but only as as like a cry for help. You know, like when you're talking to someone, they're like, How are things? How are things with you, Steve? You seem a little down. Be like, oh, I don't know. You know, things are fine. Things are fine. I ate like a whole pizza the other night, and that's when you know that even though Steve says things are fine, nobody eats nobody eats an entire pizza in one sitting. That's not the mark of a healthy adult. You know what, Dave? As we're having this conversation, I am remembering that I think a star on a early episode of this very program was me saying that I had ordered two pizzas before we started recording, and that's all I was going to be eating that day. Yeah. But you didn't eat... Anyways, whatever. This is a weird pizza digression that I do... <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's fine. Like, I didn't have much to say about the Mystery Science Theater uh, thing. It's just... It raised, like, about $6 million. Like some staggering quantity of money, right? Yeah. And so it's going to come back with, like, a full 14-episode series with, like, a lot of cool people involved with it. So that's cool and fun. Uh, you probably already know about this, and I have no additional information to offer I you. Just, I'm okay, just excited listen. to watch more of that show. This is what I need. I need them to get MST3K in a, in a like the old episodes in a place where I could watch it. Because I've spent way too much of my... There's been a much larger gap in my life than I'm comfortable with since I've last seen uh, the Puma Man. Uh, dude, Puma Man is... Go to, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000's official YouTube page. Puma Man's just oh, on is... there. I watched oh, it last seriously? week. Oh, okay. Well, game on then. Let's, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, featuring the ever-wonderful Donald Pleasance. Okay, cool. Well, that's nice to know that I know what I'm doing with my afternoon. It's good to have a plan with Free Life. Okay, so, so moving on. Dave, what is our fourth star of the week? 
Sure. Uh, a lot of game-heavy stuff this week. So, uh, actually, at the party last night, I was talking to my old buddy, Benson Green, who has started a game company to uh, to create and sell a... Like, it's a minis RPG war game, sort of. Uh... We got to play it last night. It's super fun. It's called The Exiles. Uh, he's got a website. It's called mindwormgames.com. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm shilling a little bit because I got to play it last night. You didn't get to play it, Matt, No, right? I was upstairs playing a different game entirely. I did not know it was happening until I walked downstairs and saw like a yeah, whole thing. Uh, it's super fun. It's like it's super fast-paced. And it's it's a, like a minis game where you're like fighting the bad guys and you've got like your dude and you're like moving him around, but the dude levels up and gets special abilities and it's made so that whoever's kind of running the game, who's called the governor, because it's like a wild west, like weird west, spaghetti western kind of themed game. Uh, so the governor, who is the dude who runs the game, kind of rotates around people and, uh, you know, you're trying to commit... Uh, the players are trying to reach their goals of like killing the bad guys and doing some other stuff. Uh, but the governor, and I thought this was a really neat touch that he put in, is that the governor, because it's like a rotating person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he also has goals, but those goals are not to kill the party. Like he has a goal that's based in the storyline that like he is trying to accomplish. So like. For his goal, he's trying to get all of the player characters, like, into the river. Like, right, like, that's his goal. Because for, like, whatever reason, they all need to be in the river, right? Okay. Or they all need to get, like, kicked in the face by a donkey or something. And so, like, he's trying to do that. Like, he's not necessarily trying to kill you. He's trying to do some, like, weird stuff. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, I just, I dig anything that is a competitive game but that, like, each player is competing to achieve kind of, like, lateral things. So it's not like, it's you versus your friends, sort of, uh, but in a way that does not lead to just, like, you being angry with your friends. Which is very important. Yeah, super important. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> board games are super fun things to do with your friends, and they are also great ways to not have those friends anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's a danger. Uh, so anyway, so Benson Green, Mindward Games, uh, it's not for sale yet, I think, because they're still kind of like getting everything up and running. And Benson is like, we just talked about two great Kickstarters. Benson is like vehemently opposed to Kickstarting things uh, for reasons that were very funny when he explained them, but I don't like totally understand entirely. So uh, I'm not going not gonna to tell those jokes. Okay. But... <laughs> That's a, a weird way to end that. But yeah, go check it out. Way got to a website tease our listeners with the existence of comedy and then to pull that rug right out from underneath them. Yeah, it's uh, I like to it's a it's a sort of meta humor. Uh, it could exist, but not for it's you. It's Schrodinger's joke. It might it's be sh- funny. You'll never know. <laughs> um, so what, Matt, is our fifth star of the okay, week? Okay, Dave, our fifth star of the week is a new uh, restaurant slash bar slash like beer and wine store that just opened up near me. Wait, say that all again? It is a restaurant, restaurant slash beer slash wine store. Slash bar. Yes, slash bar. It's, it's split up into three separate rooms. Like you walk in and there's a bar with some tables. 
Oh, uh, okay. And then, like, oh, there are rooms behind that where you can get wine and beer. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, killer. That sounds right. Uh, it's around the corner from me. It's called Banter, I think. I, did, I should have looked up the full name, but it's Banter something or other if you're in Cleveland. It's on uh, Detroit in, like, 40-something. It doesn't matter. Okay. But this place... Uh, the guy who makes all the food is Canadian, and they make honest to goodness okay. poutine. Nice, which that's awesome. If you haven't had, it's just like cheese curds and like beef gravy over fries, which does not sound like it would be hard to come by. Uh, but that particular combination, it's not around here as much as you would like, and this place does it, and they do it really well. They also make all of their own sausage. Ooh, uh, and have various dishes with that. Like you, next time you're on this side of town, you should come check it out. Yeah, dude, I might, I might be on your side of town specifically to check it out. Like, yeah, man, it's. I, I wish I had more to tell you about it. Um, yeah, no, it's I, just you an don't exciting need to tell me more food about opportunity. It. Yeah, listen, if you poutine is one of those magical foods, guys, that is so. Just so much greater than the sum of its parts. It's a beautiful alchemy. You would think it's just like fries, gravy, cheese, whatever. First of all, if you've ever had gravy fries, well, then you've, you're making your a mistake. Life. By the way, Dave, it's called Banter yeah. Beer and Wine, and it's not on 41st. I don't know where I came up with that. It's on 74th. Anyway, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> good, good thing you told me. Yes, to uh, all of to all of our showed- super local <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, I listen, I'm not saying this from a place of strength. I also grew up without gravy fries. Uh, they don't, they don't, that's not a thing that people do in, in Cleveland, but they do do it in Pennsylvania where we went to college. Uh, it's beautiful and magical and adding cheese curds on top of that. Um, it's a delight. It's a delight. Uh, get yourself some poutine if at all possible. Anyway, you know what else is a delight, Dave? I have a guess as to what you're going to say, but I want to hear you say it. It is. Episode 14 of Chojin Sentai Jetman, <laughs> The Deadly Canon of Love. So let's take a break, let's watch that episode, and let's talk about that episode af- after the break in the fashion <laughs> that we do every week. Yeah, I've got the, I got the schedule down at this point. Okay. Thank you. Now we're going to do it. <laughs> now. Now. Okay, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 14. The Deadly Canon of Love. And Dave, why don't you tell us what we just witnessed? Okay, so uh, just to recap, if you don't recall from last week, uh, the Jetmen are fighting a camera dimension monster that has the ability to take pictures using like a laser beam and trap those people in a a physical, like two-dimensional picture. And it has trapped Kauri in one of these pictures. So, in this episode, we have further twists and convolutions in the maze of love, uh, extending much farther than I anticipated that they would. We also get to see the Jetmen's new secret weapon, uh, which is a real misnomer, and then they fight and defeat Camera Monster, and then they win. Good for them. That's what happened. Okay, so... As we start off, uh, we pick up, as all of our two-parters do, um, right where the last episode left off. Right. So, Kauri has just gotten zapped by the lens beam, which is the special attack that Camera Dimension uses to trap people inside of photographs. 
like you do. Yeah, photographs which are not nearly as inert as originally presented. Yeah, they are way, just way more interactive than uh, than they really seem like they are. Uh, well, we'll get to that later on in the episode. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. We will super duper talk about that. So uh, the fight just sort of ends because we just end up back at space camp. And, and this the, is a weird thing that I've noticed this show does sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't think remember they, doing it as often in Die Ranger. Is like when they're fighting a monster, and they don't have a way yet to beat that monster. Like they don't know what its weakness is. They don't have a plan. So like there is <laughs> no end of yeah. Like there's no way that this fight is going to end on camera with a Jetman win. And so the show just cuts away from the fight, and now it's over. Yeah, they do it all the time. That like I don't know. The Jetmen clearly just ran away because they're fine, and they were not winning that fight. But so they're no, back. No, not at, even a little uh, bit. Yeah, so they're back at space camp, and Guy is super upset because he feels like it is his weakness. Like if only he personally somehow were stronger then he could have prevented this and also i just i just found this very arresting guy has like a gaping head wound like it is bad like it takes up maybe 25 percent of his entire forehead and it's not it's not like a cut with blood it's just it's all like i'm not gonna say it's pulsating but it's bad looking. Well, also, yeah, I mean, Guy has definitely got some color. But, like, he has also recently been blown up. So, like, his face is a little scorched. We will, Yeah, and, but look, he... In a nice bit of visual continuity throughout the end of the episode... Or, from here until the end of the episode, like, he cleans up the wound. But, like, they still do a makeup job to look like it... Like, there is a wound that has been cleaned up. Like, he's no longer covered in blood. But they do keep it around for the whole episode, which I think was a nice touch. They they do, except because they like he's he's got a couple of wounds on his face, because I'm actually I was gonna mention this later, is they do keep the wounds on his like left cheek and his right cheek, but this like monster head gash is just disappears. Like there's no reference to its existence. There's no makeup job. Uh, it's just you know horrifying. Honestly, and like then gone. It's, it's such a bad cut that I am comfortable with them just getting rid of it because I did not want to look at that thing all episode. Yeah, it was rough looking. Uh, so anyway, so that's basically it. He's just super angry. We jump we over to the Virum dimension. Yeah, to the Virum dimension and. Maria is thrilled. Like things yeah. are like everything's coming up, Maria. And uh, she's like, soon I will have all these pictures of the Jetman and like their f- pictures will decorate Varum headquarters. And Radigat gets like really weird and aggressive because uh, he just pulls a sword out on her and like holds it up to her neck and says, you will never surpass me. Uh, which seems like a kind of extreme reaction on Radigat's part. I actually, Matt, I have a theory about Radigat. Okay. I'm wondering if Radigat is like evil alternate dimension Ryu, maybe? And that's why he's so possessive and weird about Maria? Just throwing it out there. I actually thought, like I was thinking about it this morning, and I and I went and looked up pictures to see if it's the same actor, just in makeup, and I don't think it is. I didn't look at like I didn't look at the casting because I didn't want to like know for sure for sure. 
Uh, but I just had this theory now that Radigan is like a weird alternate dimension Ryu. So if it turns out I'm right later, called it now. Uh, so Radigan gets weird about this sword, like I said, and he says, you will never surpass me. Uh, Gray just, he sort of watches this happen. And again, he doesn't say anything. He just sort of has a general air of disapproval of what Radigan's all about. Right. And then he just kind of like walks away. Okay, so we cut from the camera dimension. I'm sorry. The Firem no, dimension. We we to camera dimension. dimension. See, this is a bad naming convention. But yeah, so camera dimension is running around uh, just sort of doing general evil. He's, you know, he's doing his deal. He's taking the pictures. He's making people into photographs. And I want to say something about this. Okay, is the I also have something to say. No, no, no. You do your just, thing first. Okay. Camera Dimension is just strolling around town doing this in the middle of daylight. Like, he's not hiding. He's not, like, in the shadows. He's not waiting until nighttime. He is just strolling around broad daylight and like, ah, yes, this person. I will take a photo of them. And nobody notices. It is a giant evil cameraman. And no one even, like walks past him and says, oh, that's weird. Like, it does not happen at all. We see him at, like, three different locations, just strolling up and calmly taking a picture of someone. It's bananas. You know what's incredible about that is you are absolutely right, but, like, I've been watching so much Super Sentai that I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, yeah, camera dimension. He's evil, like, just rolling around doing evil. Uh, no, the thing that I was going to mention about Gamma Dimension is he's sort of a weird creeper because he is like he's doing like lens beam and he's capturing pictures of people and like storing them in this camera for not camera, this photo album. Uh, but he's like only taking pictures of young women like he's- uh, that is 100 percent true. Yeah, he's only sort of like creep shooting Young ladies, uh, I think, I'm thinking Maria may be a little bit jealous. Maybe doesn't want all these other young ladies running around, has ordered a camera dimension to snatch them up. And that's why. That's just my, that's my theory. Uh, but, so camera dimension steals a, a girl from a tennis court. The other people on the tennis court are like freaking out. We turn around. They notice that the girl has disappeared. They still they, have not noticed that they camera still dimension see... shot a huge le- yellow laser beam at her. <laughs> right. Like that somehow completely like went right over their heads. Right. And now these people, uh, the people who just lost their friend completely cease to exist. Despite the f- Okay, so sorry. Let me back this up for a second. So Guy comes shooting up on his motorcycle to directly where Maria and Camera Dimension are. How he knows where they are, who knows? Uh, but they are still, I want to be very clear, they are still at the tennis court where a young woman has just inexplicably disappeared. Her friends from the tennis court at no point exit this tennis court to see maybe where their friend has gone. Uh, they just, they just, as far as we're concerned, they cease to exist, which is bizarre. Uh, but so Guy shows up and he demands Cowrie back. He's like, you please. 
He doesn't. He doesn't demand her back. He begs for her back. No, much first he demands. That. He shows well, up. That's right. Like, you will give Calvary back to me. And Maria is like, well, that's no way to ask for it. And right. I, like in desperation, and I think realizing that, like maybe they're like hoping that there is a way to get through this diplomatically, totally changes gears and just starts like getting on his knees and literally begging. Yeah, uh, Maria does not care at all and just kicks him in the face. Uh, and he just kind of keeps begging. And, like, it's a really good, like, he really, first of all, he really sells it. Uh, second of all, like, props to the writers of Jetman for having created this pretty intense narrative arc for Guy in the course of 14 episodes. Yeah, dude, Guy has a lot to do in this show. He really does. Like, he's gone from, like, tough guy who doesn't care to, like, willing member of the thing, and now he's in love with Kauri. He's, like, switched. He's begging literally on his hands and knees. I just can't imagine old guy begging on his hands and knees. It's a real real character development, Matt. Uh, so he is just kind of, like, he just keeps going asking for Kauri back. Uh, and then the other rangers arrive, and this is where things get really weird. So they well, they continue that... to get really weird. Sorry, but this oh, is, yeah. yeah, things things don't stop getting weird, uh, literally ever. I think in this show, but they are weird right at this moment, also. So, so they run up and they see that guy is begging, and they're like, "Guy, that is not going to work. She's right. Not going like to that's give just her back. Like you need to help us fight them. That's the only way." And yeah, uh, Maria looks up and is like, "Oh, this is interesting." Like, Guy, how about this? I will give you Calvary back in exchange for Ryu's head. Yeah. And Guy, is... like, flashes back to all of the times that Calvary was really into Ryu and not him. And he thinks, maybe that's not a terrible idea. Yeah. So he starts, he goes for it. Like, he attacks Ryu. Uh, he doesn't he does. win. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a weak sauce attack. Like you can yeah. kind of, it, if you choose to read into it this way, you can say that he is attacking because like part of him wants to, but he's also uh, like not going all out because he realizes it's pretty stupid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he he stops like pretty immediately thereafter. Like he doesn't. Yeah, you grab him. Press he's like, listen. Attack. Like, why would you think that she is going to keep her word, even if you do manage to bring me, like, to Kurt kill me? Yeah. Uh, and then again, we just we just cut. Like, it just stops. And then we're back at Space well, no, no. Okay, no. That's not what happens. What happens is that um, uh, they are all sort of at the mercy of Camera Dimension and Maria because they're busy fighting amongst each other. And Camera Dimension has a clear shot. And instead of zapping them all with the, like, lens beam, which would have trapped them all in photographs and ended the fight forever oh and gosh, won. Yes. Instead, he shoots them with flash beam, which just like, you know, his flash goes off and there's an explosion and that's it. And that's the end of the fight. And this show should not happen anymore. This should be the last episode. Viram win because I do not even know what is happening. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. I did skip over that. Uh, because effectively the fight just ends. Like they just cut away because nothing happened. 
uh, despite the fact that this should have been like a giant climactic moment. Uh, so they're back at uh, Sky Camp, right? And the chief is saying that like this is how we we will need to defeat them. And Guy says, "How can we defeat Camera Dimension without all five of us?" And I really dig that they are continually returning to this idea that like you just straight up need all five Jetmen. Yeah, like they are good by themselves, but they are meant to function as a unit. And I like especially that Guy brings it up here because Guy is the one of all of them who is, you know, he is the guy who's yeah, going like to go off on himself least... and has done that already in this episode. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the chief pulls them over. <laughs> this is amazing. So the chief pulls them over to a computer screen where there's some some other stuff. And then she pulls up like an extremely detailed schematic presumably of camera dimension like it's a it's like a technical blueprint for how he is built and like put together how she has obtained this information uh, i have no idea there's no it there's not even like a like while you were fighting we scanned camera dimension and now we like know uh yeah, she just when has it, like she goes over to her computer and it shows footage of the fight and then she presses a button and it brings up the schematic. Like, that is as much explanation as we are ever given. Yeah, and so um, she says, like, here's the deal. When Camera Dimension shoots... It's actually kind of a cool thing. Like, when Camera Dimension shoots his lens beam at you, like, his camera aperture opens... And then he is vulnerable if you shoot into the camera lens and, like, that's, like, his only weak spot. Which, like, if they're going to be fighting a camera dimension monster, like, that's a pretty rad... No, like, it, that's a pretty a cool weakness. clever thing. Yeah. And so they're like, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to bird blast him in the aperture, like, in his camera lens thing. Okay, so we cut from there to where Maria and Camera Dimension are going on a rampage. Like, you know, he's lens beaming people. They're going all over. She's laughing that the Jetmen don't dare to oppose her. And then the Jetmen show up and they dare to oppose her. And they, yeah, they super duper dare to oppose her. Um, They're real into it. It's like their favorite thing. So, yeah, so the Jetmen attack... And uh, it actually goes pretty quickly. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, right, lens beam. I totally should have. It's almost as though he remembers he should have lens beamed before, and this time just opens up with it. Because uh, he lens beams, and then the rangers pull out their bird blasters. They're like, bird blaster versus lens beam. And you get the sort of classic, like, energy blasts, like, fighting each other, you know? Yeah, like, they're pushing back and forth. And it looks like the bird blasters are winning. Yes, Until... they definitely are winning. Gray shows up out of nowhere. Yes. Uh, and he like shoulder key has like a sh- that shoulder cannon gun thing that he has. And he shoots the jet men and well, no, they dude, kind of like go he flying. jumps in the way of the bird blaster beams because oh. him standing there is tougher than the blast that the camera dimension was shooting. Yeah. Like Gray... he physically stops that attack from going on. Yeah. And way then more he durable. shoots them all. Than I think we were initially led to believe, but then yeah, shoulder cannon. So the jetman get exploded, and then the je- the camera dimension does manage to lens beam Rita and Akko, and so they're gone. 
So now it's just Guy and Ryu, and Chief is back at Sky Camp being like, just run. Just run away. Like, you got to leave. Like, we'll like regroup. We'll figure this out later. Cut to Maria. Maria is asking Gray, like, why did you show up and help me? Because remember, like, they are on the same side, but they're all kind of rivals. Yeah, like, sort of on the same side. Uh, and he says that it is because of her piano playing. Like, he has, like, fallen in love, maybe, is the idea. Uh, and this is our, this is what I was talking about when I was saying this, like, a weird, totally unexpected convolution, uh, in our maze of love, which is, I think, that Gray is in love with Maria, we don't totally... Well, you know, it's, it's close of an yeah. approximation as his cold robot heart can have to love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, uh, he's a love algorithm? Uh, so, but he... cut over to Viren Dimension. Tran and Radigat are watching this exchange, and Tran is like, oh, 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 this is weird. Yeah, they're both very surprised, because again, like, they're all trying to kill the Jetman, but they're not exactly, like, they're not totally on the same side. Like, they're all on their own side, if that makes sense. Uh, but they just all do all want to kill the Jetman. And so, again, I just, because we see that same shot of Maria, like, playing at the piano as Gray is reminiscing about it, and uh, I just can't overemphasize how much Maria looks like she's from the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, the, the resemblance is uncanny. So, Maria and Gray, like, have this moment, and then we're back at Sky Camp. Space Camp. Sky, no, Sky Camp. Uh, it is Sky Camp. It's just it fun is... to say Space Camp. <laughs> I think it's so fun to say space camp that sometimes I forget that it isn't actually space camp, uh, as we just saw. So, Ryu... So back at space camp. Back at space camp. Uh, Ryu is tricking out his dune buggy, and uh, and they are attaching a giant laser to it. Like, they're attaching this giant laser to the dune buggy. Um, and, like... The chief is, like, looking at some schematics. Uh, I just want to be really clear. Their schematics, it just flashes back and forth between, like, literally a screen just full of scrolling numbers and then a picture of this bazooka. It's the fire bazooka is what they call it. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's Ryu and Guy who are, like, like tag-teaming, like, figuring out how to, like, trick out this dune buggy. Right. Okay. I have a problem with this. Oh, do you, Dave? Yeah. What, what could possibly be your problem? Don't they, like... Okay, first of all, like, how do Ryu and Guy, like, possibly, possibly have the technical expertise to be, A, designing this, like, designing slash installing this, like, hypertech laser blaster on top of their bazooka? Because, like, I want to be really clear... Like, they're messing around and, like, they're saying stuff like, oh, like, attach the wires this place. Maybe that'll work. Like, this is clearly some design work that they're doing. Also, did the Jetman not have, does the Jet program not have, like, engineers for this sort of thing? Like, wouldn't it? Yeah, because, like, they did not build Jet Icarus by hand themselves. Like, they're, like, there's a whole thing. Like, they have, right, they, like, have a, they are not the only complex. people who hang out at Sky Camp. Yeah, this is like a multinational, like, governmental agency designed for the protection of Earth. Don't they have, like, super mechanics to work on this thing? 
Um, I just feel Although like I, baby I, I will say die. this is not the only time in this series, and I think we've even seen it before, like up to this point, that we have seen them working on like their mechanic stuff. Right, it just, it doesn't, like, it would be so much, okay, first of all, listen, it's not that I have an actual problem with the idea that Ryu and Guy are doing it, despite the fact that it makes no sense. I just feel like it's a really lost opportunity to introduce the idea that this really is like a giant organization that is like run by a whole bunch of people, of which the Jetmen are like the heroes, but, like, you could have a Q character who's, like, doing all this stuff. It would be rad. Oh, yeah, no. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to argue that it isn't, like, mondo dumb. I'm just saying that it is not without precedent. Okay. okay. That's, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So, they're, like, working on attaching this laser to the dune buggy. And Maria, like, hacks or something. She just, like, dimensional hacks into their cameras and well, is I, I mocking think, okay. the jet men. I think what she's actually doing is just doing that thing where she displays on all, like, every reflective surface everywhere, like they did in the early episodes. Oh, you know, that actually... from what she's saying, she doesn't actually know where they are. She's just sort of sending out, like, a big broadcast. Like, I don't, like, hey, where are you? Like, I have your friends. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, And this is where we find out what's off. If you... If you stop to think about it, what that means is that not only are they seeing it, but probably at least everyone in that city is seeing all of the Jetmen who are, like, helpless. Which, Which uh, is probably not super great for morale. Probably not, although also, uh, probably a very good plan on Maria's part. I had not thought about that. That's a really good point. Uh, and so she is, like, mocking the Jetmen. She has the picture of Kauri. And this is where we find out just how interactive these pictures are. Because Maria, like, conjures some fire in her hand and is holding it under the picture. And she says, don't you hear your friend screaming? And then we, like, zoom in and we see Kauri, like, trapped in the photo dimension. But she is totally surrounded by fire and, uh, and is, in fact, screaming for help. Yeah, it's wild. So, so I like, guess... She is in the photo, and she is... The picture of... Like, the photo is a static image of her, but within that photo, she's stuck in, like, a separate dimension, but that separate dimension can still be threatened by things in our world. It's not super well explained, but we do know that they are in a... Like, another level of peril that we were not previously Yeah, we did of. not know uh, that that was the case. Okay, so after this happens, uh, Guy just kind of loses it. Like He runs out of Sky Camp. Uh, Ryu and the Chief kind of call after him, but they can't stop him. He gets on his motorcycle, and he is just driving around. He <laughs> kind of aimlessly... Yeah. Uh, he ends up in Which Tori. Which I guess is how they always end up finding the Virum, because whenever Guy comes across him, he's just riding he's just on his bike. field on his bike. Listen, Like, that's probably I'm not the first to... field he tried. He's probably just been, like, driving down alleys and through quarries and, like, near industrial parks until he sees something exploding. Listen, I think we are just going to have to assume, even though it's never said... We're going to have to assume that they have some sort of, like, dimensional energy 
tracker or like a you know dimensional disturbance monitor thing so they can at least get to like a general location like they can nail it down to within say like yeah, a quarter sure, of a mile why not? you know so they like show up there and then when they arrive there they kind of have to look around like within that space it's just Honestly, the only makes, like otherwise it, it, it makes as much sense as anything Dude, otherwise every episode of this show would be like six hours long, wherein five and a half of those hours would be just be guy riding around on a motorcycle, like looking for the Virum. So, yeah, like we so, just have to, they've got something going on. So uh, when you tried to go after him, couldn't stop him, and that's when the chief says, no, you need to stay here and you need to finish constructing the fire bazooka. Right. So this is where we find out the name, which I mentioned before, but this is where we know what it is. Uh, okay, so Guy, uh, we cut to him, and he is just literally just driving around in a quarry, just muttering to himself, like, where are you? Like, I know you're here. Come on out. Uh, Maria obliges. She just shows up. Uh, Guy, really not paying a ton of attention to to what's going on around him. Because despite the fact that he is ostensibly, like, looking for the Virum, uh, he's completely taken by surprise. Yeah, so he's just riding his bike through the quarry, and then all of a sudden is surrounded by explosions, and, you know, goes flying, like you do. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to Ryu, who is still working uh, feverishly on the fire bazooka, uh, but, like, he kind of can't quite get it to work. Yeah, this is going to keep cutting back between Ryu back at space camp and Guy fighting impossible odds in the quarry. So when we get right, back just, to Guy, yeah. like, he throws a kick at Camera Dimension, and he goes to attack Maria, but Maria holds up the picture of Kauri, and he's like, aha, like, don't, like, aren't you worried that I'll do something to this? And Guy, he's, she's right. Guy is totally worried that she will do something to that. Uh, but then, this, I, this is great, because Maria... She, you know, she's got, like, this energy whip thing, and so she grabs Guy with it, and she's, like, throwing him around, and she says, she's like, I am not going to let you change. So, like, she realized, she has realized how the cross-changing works and has figured out that basically if she can just keep Guy's left fist away from his right wrist, uh, then he's basically helpless because he can't cross-change. And we see it a few times in this fight, because like at this point, the Grinham soldiers show up, and Guy is fighting off, like, I don't know, 25 of these Yeah, things. like a bunch of dudes. And at one point, he goes to, like, hit the cross-changer. Like, he's in position, he's about to say the words, and just gets blown up by a bunch of their machine gun fingers. Yeah, so I really, like, I just really like that the Virum have figured out how their superpowers work and are just trying to actively stop them from being used. Uh, so we cut back to... Guy, not Guy, Ryu. And he, like, he tries to get the fire bazooka to work. It doesn't work. Or he try, you know, like, he tries to think it doesn't work. He, like, is like, how is this happening? And he, like, pounds the hood of his dune buggy and, like, kicks it. We still haven't actually seen the fire bazooka, by the way. All we see is the dune buggy. And then he turns back to his computer <laughs> like he types some things on a keyboard like it was just but nothing it's it's gibberish and then like a bunch of numbers and letters stream down the screen and then we see the schematic of the dune buggy and then he turns back and he's like it works <laughs> like we've got it 
<laughs> I, no idea. I love how computers and technology are presented in this show because it's so like it is so hand wavy that it really might as well be magic. <laughs> like, because there's never even an attempt. They're just like, okay, uh, we got some wires. I'm gonna put like a clamp on a circuit board. There'll be some sparks. I'll be upset. I'll hit a keyboard. A picture will show up, and now my bazooka works. Uh, listen, man, this is this is a show for babies. Uh, I think they provide the children who uh, who want to watch the show with exactly as much level of explanation as they require okay, about how okay, technology okay. works. Um, okay, so we we jump back to the quarry. Guy down for the count. Camera dimension lens beams. Guy. Guy disappears. Ryu shows up immediately following this. Like, uh, as it's happening, I think Ryu sees Guy fade away. He does, which, like, Guy, had you just waited, you could have helped Ryu. Maybe you would have finished Fire Bazooka, like, 25 minutes ago. You guys could have gone out together and done this. You could have stopped and got a cup of coffee. Like, I mean, seriously. Uh, okay, so Ryu shows up, and he jumps out of his dune buggy... And then we find out why we haven't seen the the fire bazooka on the buggy yet. It's because the buggy is the fire bazooka. And it, it transforms, transforms into a giant laser cannon. Amazing. It is the deadly cannon of love. And it does actually look super cool. So uh, the oh, yeah, buggy dude, The fire bazooka is rad. Yeah, it actually it's really neat. Uh I really, I don't know if this is true. I really hope that they did sell like a dune buggy transformer thing that turns into a giant bazooka. Because if oh, they didn't, I can't imagine real, that they didn't. Yeah, I would be very surprised if they hadn't. Uh, I just, I just want it to be true. Uh, so, anyways, so he he gets behind Flare Bazooka. It's very obvious that this is not meant to be wielded by a single jet man. Right, it is, you know, it is the big cannon thing that the Super Sentai team gets. So it's meant to be held by all five of them at once. But he's the only one there. And so he's sort of having like a like a face-off showdown with Camera Dimension, which is pretty yes. cool. And so Camera Dimension lens beams, and Ryu, he's like, I hope I can handle this. And he, and he shoots the deadly cannon of love, the fire bazooka. He is blown back by the... the shock of it but it is effective now as the sort of beam fight is happening gray jumps in out of nowhere again uh, except this time not strong enough right because he did not realize how strong this uh fire bazooka was going to be so he hops in the way and gets his arm blown off which is great yeah uh so Gray gets his arm blown off. Maria drops the album, and by drops, I mean it. Dro- it literally it falls out of her hands, straight down off camera, and then lands twenty feet away. And then everybody pops out of the album. Everybody, like everybody, everybody. So the chick with the bathing suit from last time, from last episode, the couple, the girl from the tennis court, like everybody's there. Uh, Raita manages to like hustle everyone off. Cross change. And then we get this is like a really cool fight. Like this is it's a lot more extensive than some of the other ones we've seen. 
It's a very cool fight. Okay, so it's the when the fight starts out, this is one of my favorite parts of it, is uh we get Ryu, he gets his wing gauntlet, he's punching a bunch of Grinham soldiers, and then he goes to like do a flying jump kick towards Grey. Now Grey, if you recall, at this point only has one arm, but like he kind of pivots and gr- uses that one arm to grab Ryu's leg and swings him around in circles and throws him away. It's a cool, cool move. Yeah, it is. Like, it's very obviously not actually happening. Uh, well, yeah, like, there's because... a lot of wires involved. <laughs> and, like, the guy um, who plays Grey, like, trying to hold his, like, you know, second human arm inside an expanded torso that has been designed to disguise it. Like, if you look too closely at it, it's not that great. But if you just sort of let it be the cool, like, fight moment that it wants to be, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so that happens, I guess. So they get the fight. Uh, Akko attacks Maria, furious that she's had her picture taken without permission. Uh, let's see. There's a couple of other things here. Oh, that... wait. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Totally forgot about this. Uh, howling attack. Yeah, that was the next thing in my notes was the howling attack. Okay, so here's what happened. So it's uh, it's Raita and Guy, uh, Yellow Owl and Black Condor versus Viren Vengeance. And they, like, guy jumps up on Raita's shoulders, and they yell, like, howling attack! And Raita fastball specials guy at the camera dimension. He hits, camera dimension goes flying back, guy stands back up, Raita jumps, like, runs, jumps onto his shoulders, then jumps off Condor's shoulders and throws a giant rock at at camera dimension. Now, okay, I love everything about this. I really do like the double fastball special of it. The thing that I'm only thinking about now, did not even occur to me while we were watching the episode, is that when Raita landed on Guy's shoulders, he was not carrying a giant boulder. He was not. And then, like, when he jumped off of those shoulders, a giant boulder had materialized in his hands. Okay, this actually... I think this is a good thing. I think this is a good thing, Matt, that we have seen that. Because this is what that tells me. Are we about to get into some weird Jetman headcanon, Dave? Maybe a tiny bit. Okay, lay it on me. Yes, I am. Uh, I think what this clearly demonstrates, Matt, is that Raita's super attack is not only throwing giant rocks at people... It is that he has the ability to, like, materialize these giant rocks out of nowhere, which is awesome, because all of the times before where we're like, he just threw a giant rock at him, where did he possibly get that giant rock? Now, all Now explained. we know. He doesn't need to get them from anywhere. Like, Raita can just generate huge boulders to throw at his opponents. He gets uh, boulders from the exact same place that they all get their swords and their gauntlets and their guns. Just this wait. sort of floating nether space that they can yeah. reach into with their burdonic power. Precisely. Like, he doesn't need to get them from somewhere. It is just, like, part and parcel of the attack. Like, he creates the boulder or gets it from some, like, extra-dimensional source, and then he hurls it at his enemies. Uh, which this. is glorious. This is now the truth. Right. And so, okay, so they all land. Like, the fight kind of ends, and all five Jetmen, like, stand around the fire, the fire bazooka, fire bazooka, and then Ryu says, like, get everybody, get over here. Like, we're going to fire the fire bazooka. It's our new secret weapon. Not exactly a secret. 
Ryu, uh, you've literally like shouted its name out. Everybody has seen it, including people who are neither like civilians have seen it, like just the people who escaped. Uh, and and now everybody knows exactly what it is. It is, it the is also exact the opposite. second time you are using it. Right. It's the exact opposite of a secret weapon. It's a very obviously public weapon. Uh, but so they do. They all like kind of line it up, and you see there's like a cutaway shot, and you see like burdonic energy like flowing out of them through the handles into the the fire bazooka, and they shoot it at camera dimension. And this is the cool part: is that the fire bazooka shoots like a phoenix laser blast like it's a blast of energy but then turns into like a crazy fiery phoenix that like blasts through the lens beam and nails camera dimension it's pretty great it's yeah it's pretty awesome like a dune buggy that transforms into a five-man bazooka that shoots a laser blast then transforms into a phoenix amazing. Yeah, I don't know what else you people could want out of this show. I was so, going to say, I don't know why I watch anything else. So Camera so, Dimension goes down and then immediately becomes giant Camera Dimension. They summon the jet machines. But, and I think this is actually very cool. So, usually at this point, they would transform into Jet, jet Icarus, right? Right. But, Instead, they don't do this that. time, they transform into Jet Hawken, which if you remember is like the like the giant plane made out of the different five planes. Yeah. And what I like about this is that the final attack of Jet Hawken is that it transforms into a giant, like, laser bird fireball the same way that they just shot one out of their new cannon. So it was like a, like a cool thing that they kind of do twice in a row on two different scales. Right. But it is equally effective, which is really cool. I'm glad that they didn't do Bradonic Saber. Yeah, it was a really neat... It was an attention to detail that was not required, but I think really added to the fight. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, he goes down. Camera Dimension goes down. And then we get, like, it's kind of an odd, it's a cool scene, but it's sort of a weird one. So they're all standing around in the quarry after the fight. And, like, Guy is standing down by, like, a little pond throwing rocks into it sullenly while everyone else is standing together and thanking Ryu because Ryu is their savior and Ryu is the best and he just came for them and oh we knew you would come for us and Guy is just sort of standing off to the side not saying anything right furious because he knows that it wasn't just Ryu that he was an equal part of this now uh Ryu credit where it's due does say, he's like, hey, listen, man, that was not just me. Like, Guy is absolutely a really big part of this. And he goes over to Guy and is just like, hey, man, like, how are you? Are you okay? Like, you look pretty hurt. Uh, Guy is completely uninterested. He kind of, like, pushes him away. Well, okay, he doesn't push him away quite yet. We are about to get that because what happens next is that Kauri has decided that this is the moment... For her to, uh, like, drop all pretense and publicly declare her love for Ryu. Yeah, just kind of with everyone like, else not there. not standing next to each other anymore. Like, Ryu has walked away and Kaori is now just, like, calling after him. Yeah, and what she says, she's like, listen, Ryu, regardless of how you feel about me, I 
love you. Like, she just drops the L-bomb, and Akko, Akko is is the only one who reacts appropriately to this. She's like, Akko, I feel like Akko responds to this show as though she is watching it sometimes. (laughs) Like, not as though she's a character in it. Because she's just like, dang, that's an up, like, wow, an upfront confession. Okay. I I I think what she says, at least in the translation we were watching, was, bam, an upfront confession. Uh, (laughs) Akko is the only one who recognizes that the awkwardness of this situation got cranked way up. Because she's Uh, the only one who is not part of the deadly maze of love. uh, Oh, yeah, good point. Like, everybody else has a stake in this. Akko's like, this is all very weird. You guys should maybe deal with this. Uh, So Guy, like, kind of storms over to his motorcycle. He's about to put on his helmet and in his fury, like, disregards bike safety rules and throws his helmet away and just, like, drives away. And then, of course, because he had thrown his helmet away, like, three seconds later, crashes. I mean, he must have gone somewhere else because he's no longer in a quarry and now he's, like, in a field somewhere. Yeah. Now, this is like a... Okay, this is just very strange because we see he crashes the bike. He kind of is, like, rolls away from it. He is, like emoting all over the place like Kari why can't you see how I feel etc etc we cut over to the bike and we see that like liquid is dripping off of part of the bike so so we would assume like oh this bike is about to explode right like this is the classic like gasoline is dripping it's about to explode uh you know guys about to be very seriously hurt my notes even just say bike explodes now right and then uh, it doesn't. Yeah, no, like, that does I, not this happen. This is just condensation, apparently. Or maybe <laughs> the bike is like, you know, feeling the same thing that Guy is, and the bike is crying. Listen, Dude, I, that yeah. sounds insane, but you've got to remember what show we're watching. That could be what's happening. That could be the case. This this could be like a semi sentient empath bike. Who Dude, knows? I mean, last season, one of my favorite villains was like. A monster, like, motorcycle. Yeah. No, that's a good... I'm not saying that Guy has been secretly riding around on the back of General General Kamikaze, although that would have made this show a million times better. Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay. So we do have one one last little thing here. We go back to the quarry. Gray and Maria are just lying on the ground... Uh, which makes me very curious as to what was happening because they were like clearly they were knocked out and like down for the count and are just now waking up. So what the heck, Jetmen? Like two of your most powerful foes, like literally at your mercy, and you felt like this was a good time to just like leave and go throw rocks in a pond. Stupid, uh, like annoyingly stupid, um, but. So great, hey, like it, you know, it is up. no more stupid than camera that, that, dimension than camera not dimension no, earlier in point. the episode. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so so, so at, least, at least they're a good match. <laughs> um, so okay, so Gray like picks up his arm and just kind of like jams it back in the stump, and it just reattaches and is totally fine. So it's some pretty advanced cyber or, uh, technology we're dealing with here, obviously. And then he sort of picks Marie up and carries her away. And that's the end. That's oh, the end of the episode. As he does this, Dave, 
the piano music is playing in the background. Oh, that's right. I forgot the same piece that we saw Maria playing last episode. So that's it, man. That uh, is strange it for convolutions. The of love. In the maze of love. Uh, so that's it. That's it. So, Dave, what is your high point of the week this week? Okay. I'm not going to take the really obvious one. I am going to take my high point of the week is that Gray, the murderous android, is capable of feeling love. I'm into it. Maybe I think it makes him a much more interesting character. Gray's the best. Yeah, he's totally awesome. Uh, how about you, man? Um, uh, well, okay. I mean, it's got to be the, the fire bazooka, right? Like, yeah, definitely. We have to talk That's about what it I was going to pick. The, like, the fire bazooka is a fun weapon. And, like, yeah, if, it's, like, super, would, it's a dune buggy. Yeah, look up a transform- picture of it. Because it's very obviously made out of a transformed... You know, we keep saying dune buggy. I'm not actually sure that's the right word for it. It's, it's more it's like, like a go-kart uh, dune buggy thing. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, it's sort of like a, yeah, like half go-kart, half dune buggy. It's got a roll cage. It's a, it's a cool-looking thing. Yeah. But the the fire bazooka is very definitely a transformed version of that. Like, you can see where the wheels are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's neat-looking. It was fun. I really liked the scene where Ryu and Guy were putting it together, even though it didn't make any sense. Like, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that is probably my high point of the episode. What is your low point, Dave? I think my low point of the episode is just that... I, I think it's the continuing uh, just, like, fight cutaways that they just, like, they just stop the fights. And I'm glad that they seem to fix that in later seasons, but uh, it just, it does. It's kind of, like, weird and lame. They're just like, oh, we're not really sure how to end this. And then they just cut away, and it's over. And, you know, so, like, he doesn't lens dimension the Jet Rangers when they very obviously should have. That the Jetmen don't take out Maria and Grey, when they like, very obviously should have. It's just, it just, I don't know, it messes with the flow of the episode for me. Yeah, no, it's honestly, m- mine is similar, and it's, it's the same thing I've said before, is that when you're watching this show, you just need to understand that you're never going to see the first or last ten seconds of any scene. Right. And, like, if you kind of imagine what those seconds are, then the episode makes a lot more sense. But, like, I think my low point is what I said earlier, where camera dimension is just, like, wandering around and no one seems to care or notice. <laughs> right. Where, like, if you kind of imagine that he, like, like hopped out from behind a bush before he did that, then those scenes make a million times more sense. Um, how about you, Matt? What was your, uh, your low Low well, point. That, oh, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> but generally, generally, I liked this episode. I no, it was I a think really there were cool some episode. cool things added. I think that um, you know they okay. Aside from what we just said about how things clearly didn't make sense all the time, the things that they did put in that made sense, I thought were very clever, like the weakness of the camera dimension and that sort of stuff. That was pretty rad. Yeah, I was into that. So yeah, this was a good two-parter. Um, good two-parter. Do you have anything else well, to say? I think it's, no, man. I think we're that's pretty much it for us. Okay. Well, then that is going to do it for another episode of the Jetman with a Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all: you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes, or if you want to check out the things we mentioned on the show, we're on Twitter at SuperSentaiBros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what helps new people find the show. Thank you if you have done that or have considered yeah. doing that. 
Um, I mean, I guess more things if you have done it. But, you know, if you've considered it, that I, I feel good about that. Yeah, which shows. I'm happy either way. I just, I just like to be thought of fondly, honestly. <laughs> anyway, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. We are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week.